Yeah, I, I feel like we're getting very sophisticated in terms of like you if you compare how much we know about cryptocurrencies now compared to episode one, like it's night. Well, yeah. We're we we're not dragging our knuckles out of the uh out of the, of the primordial soup where we've evolved or standing upright. I don't know. I'm I'm feeling very evolved. <laughs> Sorry I mean, about that. Not not evolved yet. I'm still getting phone calls during a podcast. So I take that back. Who gets phone calls these days? That's not DGen, Brian. Bogdan, Brian, and their guests are not registered investment advisors. Nothing discussed today should be relied on for investment decisions, nor is it investment advice. This show is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please work directly with an investment professional. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Safari podcast, where we bound across the DeFi plains, grazing on crypto deals, and finding you those crypto steals. My name is Bogdan, and as always, I have Brian here with me. How is it going, Brian, on this beautiful Friday afternoon? What can I say? It is going very well. Like you said, it's Friday. It's been beautiful out. Uh, Record heat in the Bay Area. Uh, I know you're probably getting the brunt of it more so than me who lives by the beach on the coast, but uh, I, you know, I have friends inland who said it hit like 120 in some places this last yeah. week. Well, to be clear, record heat in the Bay Area is considered mild summer weather in most places in the United States. Like uh, here in uh, Berkeley, we had about 85 degrees and people were like, oh, heat wave, heat wave. Yeah. So they got up to 92. They were like, I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess the Bay Area is not very accurate. So record heat in uh, places East Bay, farther out, like Sacramento, um, Napa Valley, those places were in like the high hundreds, 110s, 115s. That's like Death Valley. Yeah. Hot. Yeah. So, well, if you guys, our listeners out there, are in a hot area right now, hopefully this crypto podcast will keep you nice and cool. It's already chilling me out. Yeah. So, there's a lot going on in terms of crypto news. And then we have two doozies of tokens this week. So, let's just jump right yeah. into it. Um, in terms of news, the Ethereum merge is happening currently as we speak. Yeah, the countdown has begun. Yeah, pretty pretty exciting stuff. Um, so far, crypto has gone, uh, sorry, Ethereum has gone up in price as a result. Um, I bought some at that low price point I told you about earlier, mm -hmm. um, and I did sell it for a nifty $100 profit. Yay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> You're buying dinner tonight. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I haven't bought any Ethereum in a while, but I have been thinking about it. I just haven't really, I haven't really had time to really do much, much crypto investing these days. But uh, yeah, I'm going to still wait and see what happens. Yeah. I still need to really understand like the, the, the real nuances and details of this merge. And so I'm going to do some research. Yeah, very always good to research. Don't jump in on based on news articles. I know mm -hmm. I'm guilty of this where I get oh, yeah. so excited. I'm like, oh, I'm going to invest. Now is the time. Now is the time. And it's like just taking that extra day of mm -hmm. processing and thinking about it can save you a lot of money. Um, something interesting about the Ethereum merge, though, that I thought was um, kind of curious is it's actually created a hard fork as a result. So because some ETH uh, 
developers and miners don't like the merge, they're actually going to fork it into two different blockchains. There will be Ethereum proof of work, which is the old system called ETHPOW. And then there's Ethereum proof of stake, ETHPOS. So it's kind of strange because they're saying that Ethereum holders will receive ETHPOW free of cost if they want to stay on the old system. They'll receive it free of cost. Yeah. What so does that you, mean? I think what it means is if you have Ethereum currently, uh -huh. you can have you can stay on Ethereum proof of work if you want. Got it. Okay. So you don't have to change over if you don't want to. Yeah. So kind of strange that they're going to be yeah. having this legacy one. And some people predict that e Ethereum proof of work, ETHPOW, will actually have a higher price point than Ethereum proof of stake, which is really bizarre. So there's going to be two different coins in. Yes. Tokens, actually. And so, yeah, that's interesting. I did see a little like uh, a little snippet of news talking about developers and which way they're going to go. And apparently developers want to keep the proof of work um, chain going for themselves, I guess. If, and maybe there's some developer issues there for switching over. I don't know. Yeah, really, yeah. really strange. Now, this second piece of news is related to that. Which is, so as we know, Ethereum's merge is making it a lot more energy efficient. Mm -hmm. It's no longer being, it's no longer on the system that Bitcoin is. Um, but as a result, Bitcoin might be in trouble. So the federal government is saying that they want to crack down on cryptocurrencies that create a lot of emissions, mm. greenhouse emissions. So this could potentially mean that they punish Bitcoin for being so inefficient in terms of electricity that it uses, greenhouse gases, all of that stuff. So could this be the downfall of Bitcoin yeah. in the United States? I, I highly doubt it. Um, first of all, I think it's just laughable that the federal government is, is lecturing people on efficiency. Uh, and second of all, uh, yeah, I mean, I just don't... Uh, it, yeah, it's just a lot of talk at this point. I mean, like most of the stuff that they're talking about in terms of changes they want to make for, um, you know, helping the environment, you know, like all these projections. I think Gavin Newsom said he doesn't want to have like a gasoline engine in California by like 2030 or something ridiculous like that. Yeah. It's just a lot of hot air coming from Washington. I don't see it happening. If it does, I mean, how are they going to penalize people really? I think what it might mean is that you get taxed based on like, if you're if you use a ton of electricity so for example a a normal factory wouldn't get taxed because it just uses kind of a normal amount of electricity for a factory but if you picture like a bitcoin mining operation that's using you know like crazy amounts of wattage maybe they would get taxed and it would de-incentivize them because they'd say oh i'm not even making enough money here uh -oh. so maybe move their operations to somewhere else yeah, well, I guess most Bitcoin mining doesn't happen in the U.S. anyway. So, you know, a lot probably... of it does, actually. Ever since um, China and Kazakhstan started banning Bitcoin mining, a lot of Bitcoin miners have moved to the United States. But it could be the case that either people don't mine Bitcoin here anymore or maybe they switch over to mining Ethereum. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that a lot of, uh, a lot of that was brought back on shore. Uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, if anything, people are going to be like, okay, it's too expensive. Let's push this. It's just going to migrate. 
like these things do. You know, they're all everybody's looking for the, the best deal, the lowest cost. That's why people send manufacturing to China. So if you want to manufacture Bitcoin, they're just gonna find a place that's you know maybe energy rich, cash poor. They're like, hey, come over here, mine all you want, you know, give us a little little cut off the top. I uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. But I, I you know, if, as long as there's value in it, it's just about where, where to go to make sure you maximize that value. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said, Brian. I like that you're the voice of reason here. I'm trying to spread fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Dr. Bud. Completely shutting me down. I actually like that. Um, in a bit of, of uh, positive crypto news, um, Y Combinator is actually doubling down on the number of crypto startups that they're investing in. Mm. So for those who don't know, Y Combinator is one of the most famous incubator programs that uh, has founded a ton of startups and supported yeah. them. And so this year alone, 13% of their startups that they've funded are crypto startups. So that is good for the ecosystem because as those startups gain traction, those become big companies and it helps kind of boost the crypto ecosystem. Yeah, that's really good news. Um, you know, like you said, Y Combinator is really famous uh, for producing some tech projects. Uh, a lot of famous ones. It's actually kind of hard to get in. So it's not like you can just like, hey, I want to join. I got this app that uh, bakes bread. You know, you got to have, you know, <laughs> some good ideas and some funding. That's a great but, idea. I, I love it, man. I, I tried that. It didn't work. It didn't work. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a really interesting. It says a lot about the market where people think this is going to go. And also, more importantly, it says a lot about um, where the venture capital thinks it's going to go, because that's really what drives Y Combinator is what, you know, people, if they have a good idea that, you know, investors want to get an early um, uh, foothold in and be like angel investors and stake them so they can get like 3000% return once they you know go public. And so I think that's putting a lot of confidence in web three and where it's going in terms of technology. So I love it, man. Yeah. Bring it on. So that those are the pieces of news that I have for this week. What do you have for us? Yeah. And I got a lot of news, but I'm not going to dig in deep into every one of them. Maybe I'll just read the headline and just wait for a reaction from you. But uh, we'll start with one. Um, you know, Terra Luna has been in the news lately. Um, their Luna token has been up 200%. Oh, they, they rebooted, frenzy. Right? Yeah, they rebooted, rebranded, uh, whatever you want to call it. But uh, apparently, um, Luna Classic was the one that collapsed, right? L-U-N-C. And so now this other, they, they created other tokens. But anyway, they're up 200%. I wouldn't touch Luna projects with, with you know, with the 10 foot pole or your money, even <laughs> I just, I have no confidence in the team and what they're trying to do, but I think it's interesting that people are like, you know, still yeah, able to, to just see that pump and be like, Oh, you know, after That's everything that's happened, like surprising. Yeah. I was shocked. I was like, really? People are still trying to buy that. So anyway, that was pretty wild. Um, another news, a uh, coin desk is basically creating a digital asset index cryptos S and P 500 basically. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah, exactly. So it's the CoinDesk Market Index will consist of 148 digital tokens. And so basically, it's just a ranking system that allows you to track the, the big movers and shakers in the market. Now, is this going to allow people to invest in this index fund? Like I can just buy that index fund and have exposure to 148 tokens? Or is it just for watching? Uh, right now, it's just for categorizing and watching. Um, they might try to monetize it at some point, but right now it's just for um, for tracking. Okay. Yeah. So it's still kind of cool. Um, let's see here. 
let's see sec is starting to really get vocal about cracking down on crypto law breaking uh the director says he can't sit by and let crypto cryptocurrencies violate securities laws yeah so a lot of a lot of a lot of hot air coming from the sec we'll see what happens with that uh we already talked about the final countdown to the ethereum merge oh uh cardano might be making itself available on Robinhood soon oh interesting yeah that's kind of big news for them are uh, you still bullish on cardano i've kind of lost interest in cardano you know, I hold some Cardano and I'll continue to probably put a little bit of money in periodically. But, you know, it's this has been the case with Cardano for a long time. It's just a lot of a lot of expectations and not a lot of delivery. And even when they do uh, come out with something new or make changes, it doesn't really reflect in the price. I'm banking on them as like one of the blockchains that, you know, maybe they're not doing much right now, but once there's mass adoption, they're there. They've got a great team and maybe they'll find some utility. So I'm not going to sell anytime soon, but in terms of, you know, excitement, yeah, it's, it's pretty low. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like they're probably really good at tech, but not so good at marketing that tech. And so people don't really get as excited about their innovations as other cryptocurrencies. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is they're, they're, it's a very cerebral team. They're very smart people. And that's why I think like the, eventually they're going to, you know, figure something out or find some niche or have something that comes up that people are like, Oh, I need that. And they have it. And then they're going to be the pe only people with it kind of scenario. Who knows what that is or if it's going to happen. But like you said, it's all about the team and they got a good team. So, Hey, Let's do it. And also, I, I like that it's named after the uh, the Italian mathematician. So that, there's that, too. That, that's why you like it. That's why I like it. Um, OK, moving quickly. Um, so Coinbase is going to be backing financially um, a lawsuit filed by Tornado Cash against the Department of Treasury. So they're bankrolling this lawsuit. So basically what happened is Tornado Cash is... Um, one of those platforms that lets you basically mix all your crypto in and to launder it. And so it can't be tracked, that sort of thing. Yep. And so the uh, Department of Treasury flagged them in 2019 uh, and basically sanctioned them from uh, being able to uh, take in money or distribute money. Anyway, they got they got flagged, they got sanctioned. And so some of the users filed a lawsuit basically saying that, like, first of all, you can't do this because we're not a nation. Uh, we're not a person, we're not a country, so we don't fall under this part of the special designated nationals list of department treasury kind of purview. Mm. And they've got, they've got a few other complaints, but I think it's interesting that Coinbase is actually backing them financially against this lawsuit against the government. So um, very interesting. Uh, quick other news. We know that uh, Queen Elizabeth II passed away recently. Yes. What's going to happen to all her crypto? Well, that's the that's the uh, that's the story here. Um, apparently, there's been an influx of meme coins and NFTs based on her likeness. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but you should be aware as a buyer, a lot of them are scams. So just because something has the uh, the queen on it and the Jolly Roger, don't put your money into it. Do your research. <laughs> yeah, except for Queen Token, that's Brian's version, and uh, he's pushing uh, that hard. Well, I do love the band. <laughs> um, and let's see, authorities covered thirty million from an Axie Infinity hack that we saw, like I think last year. It was five hundred million, but they got thirty million back. So yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit. Um, also, lawmakers are getting on Facebook's back because they become a breeding ground 
for crypto scams. Mm, Facebook and Instagram is be- is becoming um, lousy with crypto scams in the. Uh, I uh, do I do get a lot of those messages where you know someone's like, "Hi, I invested with John Williams. He <laughs> gave me five hundred percent returns. I can yeah. share his info with you if you'd like." I'm like, "Oh yeah, no need. I'd I, love I, that." Yeah, I I always I kind of mess with them and I go, I go, I'm not looking for big returns. Do you do little returns? And they're like, (laughs) we only do big returns. I'm like, sorry, not interested. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that's another um, another uh, basically um, problem that Meta is facing right now. They just can't uh, seem to get a break these days. So anyway, beware of Facebook and Instagram for crypto scams. Don't buy Queen Elizabeth tokens and NFTs. And uh, maybe you can get some Cardano on Robinhood soon. So that's the news. <laughs> love it. Love it. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to listener questions. We have two really interesting questions here um, that came in through our uh, typical channel. So if you guys have questions, remember, you can write to us at questions at cryptosafari.us and we can cover it on the next episode. Our two questions for this week, though, uh, one is from Sherry, and the other is from Levi. First, Mm. our question from Sherry, she's asking, what's a token? What's the difference between a utility token and a securities token? Ah. I think this is a good question, because so often we kind of like use all this jargon, but if someone is, you know, new to crypto, they don't know all the jargon, and sometimes it can get confusing even when you Google it. So, Brian, absolutely. What What do you think about utility token versus? Security yeah, token? you know, it's a really good question, and you know, I had to do my own research at one point to to kind of learn more about it. And actually, this question does kind of relate to the project that I'm going to be reviewing today. So, I think it's very, um, very timely. And so, from my understanding. And this just this is my understanding, and this is also agreed upon by other professionals in the uh, crypto podcast community. Potentially, I don't know. Um, so basically, a token represents um, something in a particular ecosystem, right? It could be a value in dollars, it could be the right to vote, or it could be like your identity. It's a digital representation of something, in a, in, in a crypto sense, right? Um, and so the difference basically between like a cryptocurrency and a token is a uh, cryptocurrency isn't constrained to a certain environment, right? So Bitcoin, um, for example, you can take that and you can buy stuff with it. You know, it's got other uses outside of its environment, right? But if you look at like a utility token or a, like a utility token or a token like Ethereum, you know, it can interact with smart contracts, that sort of thing. But it's in its own environment that that's where the utility is. That's where basically the value is. Mm-hmm. Outside of it, there's not much value, right? Okay. So a securities token is one that is used kind of like the US dollar, right? Like you're using it to buy and sell things. Well, yeah. Well, like, actually, let's, let's slow down a little bit. So we've got the token. That's a token, right? A digital okay. representation of something, you know, it could be money, it could be a, a right to vote identity. So then there's a utility token that provides the user with a product or service and or it can be like a gateway that gives you access to a network or representation in that network through voting. Mm, okay. So I that's the use utility. So you can replace kind of the word utility with useful. So it's like useful for something. Exactly. Like if I want to get into this NFT club, 
I gotta use the utility token, mm -hmm. something like that. If I want to, if I want to vote, you know what happens in this project, I have to have the utility token to vote. Now, here's where it gets confusing, and I think this is part of you know mostly the the way these projects market themselves, is most tokens say they're a utility token, but they're not. They're just being sold that way by the developers because uh -huh. developers want to avoid regulation and taxes that come along with being classified as a security, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So there's very, very like small amount of actual utility tokens. Most tokens are actually security tokens, okay? And so how the, there's a, something called the Howey test. And I don't know if we talked about this a while back when the SEC started getting involved in, in crypto and talking about, you know, is it a security? So basically the Howey test consists of a few questions. And so one of the questions is, is there an investment of money into this project? Uh, also, is the investment um, into a common enterprise? Is there an expectation of profit for the investors? Is there expectation of profit based on the work of others? And so once you ask yourself those questions, and if you can answer yes to one or all of them, then basically you're a security, mm, okay. right? And so security tokens are heavily regulated and they represent legal ownership of an asset, right? So, but that's still, I mean, it's, it's still a lot of value there because a token basically can uh, democratize an asset. For example, you can't buy one one hundredth of a house, but you can generate a hundred tokens that represent stake in a home, and then you can invest that way into it. So it gives people the ability to invest in things that normally a group wouldn't be able to invest in. Yeah, yeah. And so that's giving people access to markets where there's a high bar of capital of money to enter. So there's a lot of value there. So you can, you know, maybe buy 10% of a house if you want to get in, in, in a hot real estate market. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so those are the two big difference. Utility um, re represents like a product or a service, maybe gives you voting rights, uh, security tokens, legal ownership of an asset. Well said. There we go. I, I hope that answers your question, Sherry. If you have any follow-up questions, feel free to write to us again. Um, next, going to move on to Levi's question. So he would like to know, do you invest in exchange tokens like FTT from FTX? Why or why not? So I can explain mm -hmm. real quick what a exchange token is. So uh, for example, FTX is a cryptocurrency exchange. And in addition to letting you buy and sell tokens like Bitcoin, Ethereum, all the you know typical coins that we know, they have their own proprietary coin that you can buy that is linked to the actual company FTX and gives you some like perks on the platform. So with FTX in particular, typically the more FTT, their token that you hold, uh, the lower your fees will be. So instead of paying, you know, whatever it is, 3% fee, you would pay 2.6% fee on your mm. transactions. So there's all sorts of perks like that. Um, there's also perks of how much money you can put in, how much money you can take out in one transaction, stuff like that. Mm. I personally don't have any exchange tokens simply because the perks didn't really merit it and i didn't think that i needed it for the quantities that i'm doing so i'm not trading like every day or every hour or every minute so the transaction fees don't really hit me very hard and the difference for me between having a two percent fee or a 1.8 percent fee is kind of negligible mm. so i would say 
if you're, you know, if you're like a power trader and you're making big deals and big moves, like it might be worthwhile to pick up some FTT or some mm -hmm. other exchange traded token. Um, but for me personally, I, I don't really dabble with it. What, what about you, Brian? Well, I think that's interesting. Uh, you know, it kind of comes back around to the question about utility tokens and security tokens, because it seems like it's got a little bit of both going on there. You know, it's got some utility if that's what you're into. But also it could be, you know, a representation of legal ownership of that exchange in that sense where you're hoping to make money off it. Like, for example, um, uh, coin, um, I forgot, who's Kronos again? Uh, that is crypto.com. Crypto, thank you. Crypto.com, for example, you know, they had all those Super Bowl ads running. Um, it's pretty much nonstop. And so if you look at that and you're like, wow, these people are big, they're going places. I'm going to buy that token because I think this exchange is going to be worth a lot of money someday. Yeah. And so, so to be clear, I did actually, you reminded me, I did buy some Kronos back in the day when the, the Super Bowl ads were happening yeah. and I still have it simply because, uh, you know, it's gone down in value so much. <laughs> um, so I'm waiting to exit that position, but it, it wasn't worthwhile. They also gave me, uh, you got like a debit card that you can oh, yeah. use in different places. Um, and I was supposed to get free airport lounge access with it. <laughs> it never worked. I was at the airport and like the, the app wouldn't work, wouldn't show me my yeah. card and like, it was a mess. So I, I'm not very big on them. Yeah, that's that's one of those things. You got to really trust that that uh, the, the utility they promise is gonna is gonna follow through in the real world. And uh, but I mean, for like FTX, I think it's interesting because they're really expanding fast. They're buying a lot of assets. You know, they could be one of those exchanges that just branches out into everything else and does have a lot of value. But will that value be represented by their token? I don't that know. Is the question. I don't see a lot of utility there for people who, like you said, who aren't using the the, the platform and like. You know, I, I'm not using coin.com or FTX at all for anything. So why would I, you know, it's. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would rather own, and I was thinking about this recently. I would rather own shares in Coinbase, the company, than the actual Coinbase token, right? Like, mm. I think that's the better way. If you think that this company is going to grow and become really big and successful, like just buy shares of the company in the traditional sense. Yeah, that's interesting. And what would be the benefit of that? Just the less volatility? I think because it's tied, right? Like the actual token of FTX is tied to how useful it is in their ecosystem versus the shares in the company is tied to how much money that company is making. Right. The overall health of the company compared to the supply and demand forces of the token. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That's a good way to look at it. So... Uh, great, great question, Levi. Yeah. And Jerry, if you guys have any questions for us, remember you can write to us questions at cryptosafari.us and we can take your questions on the next episode. So with yeah. that, let's jump into our two tokens for this week. And I'm pretty pumped for mine. Um, All right. You sound pumped uh, for yours as well. But yeah. before we jump into the two tokens, a quick recap of how we evaluate any cryptocurrency. So that is our system called PTAC plus T, and that stands for Purpose, Team, Advantage, Community. So purpose, what is the problem that this cryptocurrency solves? Team, who are the founders? Who are the investors? Advantage, how is this unique? How does it have a unique advantage compared to other cryptocurrencies? And then community, what's the user adoption like? What's the developer adoption like? And lastly, plus T, 
is plus tokenomics. So what are the tokenomics of this cryptocurrency like? Mm. So since you went first last time, Brian, <laughs> yeah. I am happy to go first this time so that you don't blame me for making you go first every time. You know, I don't mind going first every time, but yeah, you, you seem really excited. Why don't you uh, let it out? I will let it out <laughs> and I will let it flow because my cryptocurrency for this week is called Flow. Ooh. Are you familiar with Flow? Um, you know, I've hustled, I've flowed in in my youth, but uh, not familiar with this project. That was yeah. a movie, by the way. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, so this cryptocurrency, Flow, F-L-O-W, is its uh, token sign, if you guys want to look it up, is really interesting and got me for two reasons. One is kind of the community and the partnerships behind mm -hmm. it. And mm -hmm. two is kind of its utility and the unique things that they're doing. So the purpose of Flow is to allow developers to build projects super efficiently. And then also to allow consumers to interact with the blockchain in a very user-friendly way. Mm. So the Flow token itself is used as a payment method um, in the entire flow ecosystem and economy. Uh, and a fun little fact, this is like a little aside that I saw on their website. Um, they're super eco-friendly and they say minting an NFT on flow costs less carbon than creating a post on social media. Wow. Super, super efficient. That's so, really efficient. Pretty cool. Um, so the team behind flow, and this is where it gets interesting, I'm going to try to pronounce this name correct. It's Roham Garagozlo. Not Gar bad. Not bad. No, that is bad. <laughs> I apologize, Roham, for mispronouncing your name. That's spelled G-H-A-R-E-G-O-Z-L-O-U. So... Yeah, it's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, but Roham uh, founded Dapper Labs in 2018. Uh, Dapper Labs are actually the creators of CryptoKitties, oh. which I know you're not big into NFTs, but CryptoKitties mm. was one of the very first crypto projects. I've heard of them, yeah. Did a lot of innovative stuff. Um, they also created NBA Top Shot. Ooh. Yeah. So NBA Top Shot, super, super popular NFT marketplace um, and really innovative in its own right. It basically lets you purchase... Uh, NBA moments. Uh, so like St Steph Curry hitting the game winning shot, Michael uh -huh. Jordan hitting, uh, you know, the series seven final shot. That's like super famous. You would actually own that, um, that moment. in, yeah. in So pretty cool. Um, and so Dapper Labs is really focused on bringing fans closer to the brands they love. And as such, they actually partner with a lot of brands. So Flow is currently par partnered with Warner Music, the NBA, the NFL, the UFC, mm -hmm. Samsung, and then also game developers like Ubisoft, Animica Brands, and Sumo Digital. Wow, that's some okay. big names, some heavy hitters. Yeah. Th those are just a few of them. Those are like the big name ones. Um, their investors are also heavy hitters. So investors in Flow include Andreessen Horowitz. Mm. You might have heard of him. Heard of that. Uh, Union Square Ventures, Venrock, Google Ventures, Samsung, and the founders of DreamWorks, Reddit, 
Coinbase, Zynga, and AngelList. Wow. Yeah. That's, so, that's pretty impressive. Th this is what caught my eye. I was like, I was like, I haven't really heard about this, but what is it? And then I saw these like big name brands behind it. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, let me yeah. a little deeper. Well, you know, they have a really good um, mission statement. I mean, building a blockchain that's mainstream and adoptable. And so for these companies and these investors, I mean, there's, that's a, it's a huge, um, you know, green light in terms of, you know, where you want to be on the ground floor or something like that. You know what I mean? And so it, it makes sense. And that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And, yeah. and you've talked a, a lot about this, Brian, of how frustrated you've been with how complicated and like messy crypto is and getting into crypto, like setting up your wallet and your wallet does mm -hmm. this, but then you lose your um, reflections because you're not on the correct wallet, et cetera, et cetera. So Flow is trying to fix a lot of that and make it more user friendly. And I think that's, that was a big problem with the uh, with the crypto market and blockchain in general. It just wasn't easy to um, to move in. You know, maybe if you go to Coinbase, yeah, it's easy. You can sign up, bang, bang, boom. But you know, it's even that is is not super easy. And if you don't know much about the market, then you're just in there doing what are you going to do? You know. But yeah, that's cool. I like it. Yeah. And even a lot of friends who aren't really into NFTs or crypto have talked to me about things like NBA Top Shot, right? Mm -hmm. People who are sports enthusiasts are like, oh, NBA Top Shot, like I can buy a historic sports moment and like I am the only one that owns that moment now. And there's all these like implications of that. So it it's kind of going with these like mainstream things like the NBA, the NFL, UFC, yeah. right? And allowing them to kind of sell some of their IP in NFT form. So it's it's really interesting. Um, I'll dive into some of kind of the technical aspects of Flow here mm -hmm. because it is kind of its unique advantage. So in a traditional blockchain, every node, meaning every like validator computer on the uh, network stores the entire state of the blockchain. So that's like account balances, smart contract code, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so that node has to perform all of the tasks associated with processing every transaction in the chain. And that's why it's like so slow. And the metaphor that Flow uses for this is this is kind of like a single worker building an entire car. Mm. Like they can do it, but then it's really slow because, you know, they have to know all the steps and uh, it's very uh, slow in terms of how it works. So Flow uses this thing called pipelining, which is actually a very common practice in assembly line production, like cars and computer chips, mm -hmm. et cetera. So uh, it applies pipelining to the blockchain and separates the jobs of a node into four different roles. So there's collection, consensus, execution, and verification. Mm. And I'll talk a little bit about what each of those does, um, but basically it means each node can specialize in something so that the process as a whole is more efficient, right? So like mm -hmm. in the in the metaphor of building the car, like one guy is in charge of putting the tires on the car. Like that's all they do. And if you combine everybody's roles, you build the car, you run the blockchain, right? Henry Ford would love this project. He would, he would. Yeah. So this is kind of an alternative to sharding. So we've talked about sharding before. Mm -hmm. um, some of the problems that Flow points out in sharding is that 
the way that sharding makes things more um, efficient is it basically breaks up data into small fragments. But the problem is that when an app needs to access that data, it has to look for those fragments all across the blockchain in order to put them back together. And so this is difficult and error, error prone. And the example here is a simple user action. Say you're purchasing a hat for your crypto kitty using some stable coin. That can take 12 transactions and seven blocks on a sharded blockchain. <laughs> wow. Versus yeah. on flow, it would just be a single transaction. So less um less gas being burned, less yep. more efficient. That's why it's so um eco-friendly. Yes, exactly. So uh I'll talk about the four nodes, and you guys don't have to like really understand you know, the super technical stuff behind there, but I wanted to cover it just in case. So the four types of nodes on the blockchain are consensus nodes, which decide the presence and the order of the transactions on the blockchain. Then the next one is the verification nodes, and they are actually responsible for keeping uh, the execution nodes in check. Mm. So the execution nodes perform all the computation associated with each transaction. And then lastly, we have the collection nodes, which enhance the network co connectivity and making sure that the data is available for apps. So each node kind of has its own role. Um, and if you guys want to like read more about like the four different nodes, um, you can read about it on flow.com, their website. Um, but really interesting how they've like mm -hmm. divided the labor among different types of nodes. Yeah, I mean it's a simple a simple solution, an elegant solution they might even say, and it just it makes a lot of sense. I'm surprised someone that hasn't done it before. It's it's so obvious. Yeah, and so yeah. it it allows uh, them to serve billions of users. Like they have really really high capacity, um, and it also the other part of this is they like create flow so that it's very easy for mainstream consumers to just start using it. Um, so that's very low friction. So both developer friendly and then also very user friendly. Hey, those are that's a great combination to equal adoptability. If the devs like to use it, there's going to be a lot of different projects, a lot of cool stuff. And if people like to use it, it's just to bring in those people together in a sweet, sweet symbiotic relationship. Exactly. I think yeah. a lot of cryptocurrencies, honestly, and this kind of goes to the point of like Cardano, right? Like we, when we talked about them and we covered them on the podcast, like their dev team was like super accomplished, you know, like all these science computer scientists, you know, mm -hmm. but then it's like, oh, it's not that easy to use, you know, like <laughs> as a user. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's a, you make a good point about the team. You know, I think sometimes you can get you know, too many smart chefs in the kitchen, basically over-engineering something to the point where it's almost, you know, not usable, yeah. you know? And I think that happens I've read, when I was researching, you know, buying a new car, a lot of times they were talking about how some of these really great car companies like Audi and BMW, sometimes they can over-engineer something and then it causes a lot of problems. Yes. And so I think when, you th when you're trying to find like the simplest solution, you know, the Occam's razor, of of the solution that sometimes you get something that's easy adoptable and and fun to use so yeah beautiful i i'm personally experiencing this problem working <laughs> on my uh 1994 bmw right now where all of the bolts are hex bolts which 
apparently is a far superior system mm -hmm. than your traditional just regular bolts yeah but that means i don't have the tools to work on it <laughs> <laughs> yeah superior for it's for who you know what i mean for the engineers yeah, yeah. so that yeah that's interesting it, it's exactly. the working man's blockchain exactly exactly yeah. so in terms of community they have 14 million wallet accounts which is a lot especially in this day and age they have 8,000 developers. Wow. They have over 1,000 active projects. They have 400 nodes. And then they also have an ecosystem fund for granting money mm -hmm. to people who want to build on it. Um, mm -hmm. Their ecosystem fund is up to $725 million. So really, really like strong, strong community. Um, in terms of tokenomics, it's a two billion market cap, which puts it at market rank number thirty-two. Oh, so we are in 50. the top, yeah, top fifty. Mm -hmm. uh, one billion circulating supply, one point three billion total supply. The all-time high price for Flow was forty-six dollars. Yeah, I was I was looking at that. So it's basically down almost 96% since it's all-time high, which is only a year ago. Yes. So, so all time something's high not flowing was, right. Yes, all-time high was $46, all-time low was $1.17, and the current price in this bear market is $2.12. Now, I mean, okay, so we're talking about, you know, a, a great idea seems to be an abundance of utility. They have all these partnerships. Where's the disconnect between that and the actual price? Is this just the current market forces? Did something go wrong? Because 95%, that's a big drop. It is a big drop. I think it might, this is complete speculation, right? I haven't researched like the actual reasons for this, but my guess would be based on seeing similar projects like this is projects that are really good at marketing tend to have really high highs because people are so pumped. They're like, this is the future, you know, team Doge, et cetera, et cetera. And then it plummets in value because mm -hmm. people, right? Like they've made these enormous pro promises. It's similar to kind of like the Elon Musk, um, but somehow he is able to actually get Tesla insane valuations. Um, but right, like there's so much hype, even though they're not producing to that level of hype. It doesn't mean that it's a bad company. It just means the hype does not match the actual production. So I would say, if, if I had to guess, I'd say probably like the true value of flow, if we weren't in a bear market, would maybe be 10 to 20 bucks, you know? Um, 46 seems rich, you know? Um, but yeah, it, it still seems like a good opportunity. So I might purchase a little bit of flow just in case. <laughs> okay, get your flow on. So I was actually just doing a quick, uh, quick, you know, research uh, a mission about flow and there's different like crypto rating um, companies now. And so I'm looking at one called Symmetry. And so they talk about the, you know, the strong relationship with high value brands, but they're, they make a point saying, however, it has poorly designed token economics. Ah, they believe uh, there will be substantial supply pressure by the end of 2021. So obviously this is old that will drive down its, its token price substantially. Therefore, the project receives a grade of a C plus. Oh, OK, that makes sense. So maybe they produce too many flow tokens. I mean, the the actual circulating supply is one billion 
tokens, right? So it, that could just be a question of tokenomics, which you're fond of. And that's what these guys are, are, are saying here. But at the same time, you know, they give it a 9.0 out of 10 for market opportunity. And so I think right now it's, it's kind of the, the cart, um, you know, leading the horse. So the, at a billion tokens, you know, seems like a lot, big supply, not a lot of demand for it. But once that demand increases, once they get more projects, once they get more adoption, then all of a sudden the tokenomics might work out in the, in the long run. So maybe they're banking on, you know, a large circulating supply because they're looking for mass adoption, not scarcity. Yep. Yep. I, yeah. I, I think that's a good hypothesis. So I'll keep track of it. I will share updates as yeah, I'm you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep an eye on it and I'll probably get a little bit of flow in my pocket. <laughs> I like I like where I like their partnerships. I like the I like the business model. And hey man, easy wins the day every day. Yes. Also Andreessen Horowitz wins the day every day. Yeah, they don't make they don't make a lot of poor bets. Yes. Not like SoftBank. <laughs> <laughs> So cool, All right? Flow, I like it, man. Never heard of it, but I'm I'm liking it. Cool. What do you have for us this week, Bry? Well, you know, in in the same sort of category, I'm I've got a blockchain too, and it's kind of interesting that we actually chose these two projects because I think they're um I wouldn't say diametric opposites, but they could be the yin and the yang of the blockchain in terms of our conversation. So you have Flow, which is all about mass adoption. Everybody gets in. And I'm doing something called Polymath, mm, which is a very specific blockchain now, but it actually might end up in the same kind of boat that Flow could be in if there's mass adoption. But this uh, um, boat they're in could be for very different reasons. So let me kind of explain. Uh, so Polymath, P-O-L-Y, Poly on their, uh, their ticker, um, they created the Polymesh blockchain, blockchain excuse me, built for security tokens with governance, identity, compliance, and confidentiality used as the pillars of the core of their design. Okay. So I know that's kind of a mouthful. I'm kind of reading their, their, their tagline. And so basically what they're talking about is, you know, we had that conversation about securities tokens, right? And if these tokens in these projects that call themselves utility actually have to be classified as a securities token, then there's a whole nother class of regulation that they have to uh, abide by and have to basically adhere to. And so these guys are building a blockchain that are just for securities tokens that have to deal with those issues. Um, compliance, um, KYC, know your customer, all the different regulations that normal securities have to deal with if they wanna be publicly traded, those might fall on probably 90% of the crypto projects. Mm. And so they were a little bit ahead of their time and thinking, okay, we need to create a, a blockchain that is just for securities because it's a whole different um, set of, of rules and regulations you have to follow. And so they founded this um, because they were trying to tokenize a private fund a few years ago. And they realized that there's all of these different issues, there's all these complexities, and maybe they should just build their own blockchain. Okay. Right. And so they did that and they they talked to all of these different regulators, all these different institutions, and they got all this feedback and they created something called the ERC 1400 security token. Mm. So this is different than ERC 20. Oh, yeah. Very different. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. And so what they learned in, in terms of doing all this research was that Ethereum 
wasn't suitable for institutional adoption. Oh, big, big claim, big claim, right? There. Well, we're talking about institutional investors, institutional assets, all the regulation, everything that goes into it. And I didn't really get too much into in depth about why they thought it was unsuitable, but this is what people were telling them. And these are, um, you know, investment funds, people in the know, regulators, that sort of thing. And so their whole idea was, um, you know, the security token adoption hinges on solving problems with public infrastructure. And so the problems they saw were lack of standardization. And so for every exchange or custodian who wanted to um, support a token, they had to do business due diligence and technical due diligence on every project and every token. So the solution was a standardized ERC-1400 token that does all that stuff for them. So to be on this, to have this token, you have to go through all the diligence, all of the business, all of that stuff. And so it's just a way to fast track that so that the custodians and the exchanges don't have to do the work. Okay. So it's basically like the same thing with securities. Once you file your papers for like your IPO, you get, um, you know, vetted, you go, you can go public. And then once that happens, every, you know, exchange, well, you know, the few that we have is like, okay, now we can take you. Now we can allow you to, to trade your, um, your stock on our market. Mm-hmm. And so it's a similar type process. And so the ERC 1400, it's got a few components, um, core compliance, document handling and notification, security token controls and permission, including delegation and forced token transfers, and partial fungibility, improving transparency for investors and their ownership rights. Mm. And so that kind of falls into just the SEC and what they do and making sure to protect investors by ensuring these sort of things are built into their process of allowing these companies to be publicly traded. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that that makes sense. Mm. So the idea here is if the SEC continues to kind of hammer down on most cryptocurrencies and saying like, hey, you have to be compliant, here are all the things you have to be compliant, then in that scenario, polymath would be kind of like the go-to of, hey, okay, we need to be compliant, like, let's just launch this project on polymath so that's compliant just by virtue of being on there. Absolutely. So it could be a huge uh, cornering of the market for crypto projects if the SEC follows through with what they've talked about doing. In terms of classifying them, and so what the polymath, what polymath will do is basically just lower the barrier of entry, entry for businesses and issuers of the financial products, cryptos, to launch um, their security tokens on the blockchain. Got it. And so, for example, like right now, maybe we have like um, I don't know what you consider security. Pretty much every token, but let's say you want to start a project, and you know you're you're just getting started, just getting ready to launch. Using polymesh makes sense because it's just a lot easier for you to get on that chain because they're going to do all the due diligence and all that stuff that probably would take a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of resources. Got it. So yeah, really interesting idea. Um, we'll see what happens. I think a lot hinges on how regulation goes, but if things shake down the way that we think they are, and then based on our token conversation where most projects actually are utility or are, excuse me, are security tokens, not utility tokens, then places like Polymesh might be, where you see a lot of the activity going. Interesting. Got it. Yeah. And who's the uh, team behind it? Yeah. So the Polymath team um, has members and contributors contributors worldwide and a growing list of over 50 global service providers. But the CEO is a guy named Trevor Corverco. He's the CEO of Polymath. Uh, he was the CEO of Digital Assets International, 
and investor of Luminix. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Familiar. If, in case you're familiar. Uh, the CEO is a guy named uh, Chris Hauser, uh, CEO of Polymath. He was a show, an associate at Bennett Best Burn LLP, and he's a former Canadian Forces um, infantry soldier. Ah, always good to have one of those in the company. You got to have someone to enforce your laws. <laughs> no, no, that's how you get security of the company. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. Um, and so in terms of the uh, advantage, you know, it's a tremendous market opportunity um, for them if things go in the way of SCC regulation and pushing people to have to go through all of the different steps to uh, become, um, you know, publicly traded, basically. And so that's where the real advantage comes. Um, and so we'll see what happens. Um, you know, their idea is that, um, you know, institutional regulators require, you know, identity, compliance, um, and confidential confidentiality and governance, you know, as part of what needs to happen for these projects to be accepted. And so if they can provide that with a low cost, then they could really become the go-to blockchain for, for crypto projects, mm -hmm. you know, almost all of them. So we'll see if that happens. I mean, that's a pretty big advantage. Um, let's see what else we got here. Um, yeah, so they're letting people also create um, financial products, kind of like synthetic that we did last year. So that's another thing they're doing as well. Um, and so, you know, they're in a position to maybe transfer capital markets as we know it because of their polymesh blockchain and everything they're doing. It's a big claim, but I, I would say that I bet that this will be useful for a while and then other people will kind of catch on and be like, hey, we should we should make something like this or make our blockchain compliant, something like that. So I'm kind of I'm kind of on the fence on this one. It's like, yes, if the SEC like creates regulation, all of a sudden everybody's gonna have to become compliant. But I'm guessing that a lot of crypto projects will probably just hire people to make sure that their stuff is compliant and say like, all right, we're going to just build an internal compliance team with the millions of dollars that we have. Um, so is yeah. there anything to defend against just Ethereum, just creating a compliance team and making Ethereum compliant? Well, that's a good question. Um, I mean, right now, I know this blockchain is very specific for those reasons, you know, because they want it to be a securities um, a platform, you know, and the way that Ethereum works. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that, I guess that could be possible, but I think it really falls on the, you know, the shoulders of the project to basically make those changes. And so if you don't have millions of dollars and you want to start a project, but you're going to be a securities then you know, really doesn't matter what ethereum does it's really about your due diligence and you know mm. and and what you do internally so yeah i mean who knows what what ethereum might do but i feel like they're you know the, how slow they are to move and how they like to keep everything just they're all about security and privacy and yeah. this is basically a, a blockchain that doesn't allow you to have that on some level yeah because so it's about transparency it's about governance and it's about um knowing your customer those sort of things yeah this is very anti-degen like you know like this is very much yeah kind of a institutionalization of what a lot of people want to be like you know anonymity like you know degen like nobody knows who i am i just have total privacy etc cetera, etc cetera. so but a lot of institutions 
don't really care about being degen. Like no. they want to make money and make their transactions, etc. Exactly. Know? And so you could think of this as an institutional blockchain for digital assets for people who might want to invest large, large, large amounts of money, but want to have some sort of regulation and transparency in who they're investing in and who, who they're dealing with. And so I think from that sense, it could just end up being like the, um, uh, you know, maybe the NASDAQ of, of cryptocurrency, uh, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, interesting. We'll see what happens. Um, but, uh, you know, they built something that has very specific um, use cases. And we'll see if that use case and those, those needs um, become abundant. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. But I thought it was a cool idea. Um, so let's get into the community real quick. I know we're going a little bit long here. So their total addresses are about 98,000 total addresses, active addresses, only 175 active. Yeah. yeah. Um, what interesting, the top two addresses hold 50% of the supply. Uh, that's mm. scary. <laughs> yeah. I don't like the sound of that. Uh, Twitter, they have 65,000 followers, 8,000 on Reddit. Um, token insight rating gave them a B for a stable outlook. Huh. Okay. Yeah. The highest for them is a triple A um, and their ratings represent the quality and risk of a project based on team project and ecosystem metrics. Mm, okay. Does that sound familiar? Yes. Yeah. Um, so far they've accepted a hundred token issuances of applications and they've deployed 40 on the platform. Uh, let's see. They have pricing strategies and financing approaches that they offer to the developers through their portal. So they're giving a little bit of help there. Um, in terms of tokenomics, they're ranked 115. Uh, they have $250 million market cap. Hmm. Uh, trading volume the last 24 hours is about $330 million. And that one reason I found these guys is because they had went up 100% in a couple of days. So, uh, I, you know, I look at the top gainers on yeah. CoinMarketCap to see if there's an interesting project. So these guys are on the top of the list. Interesting. So they doubled up like in, a, in like a day or two. So I was like, hmm, I got to read about these guys. Uh, max supply, $1 billion. Uh, of that, 925 is in circulation. The other 75 billion will be unlocked in 2024. Mm, okay. so that's something to think about too. Um, the price is at about 28 cents, um, up 100%. It was like down 20% today. But in its first year, it uh, returned a 512% return on investors. Interesting. So that's, that's pretty... like all time low up to whatever the all time. Yeah, was. they had a really hot year. And then that year, the, the, yeah, they were up 500%. Yeah. So if you would have got in early that year, you made a pretty good profit. All time high was at $1.66, all time low one penny. And if you want to buy it, you can go to Binance, Coinbase, and Upbit. Very cool. I started adding a few things to my tokenomics. I don't think you noticed that. I, I did notice. I did notice. Yeah, I, I, I spiced like it up a little bit. I, I like the where to buy because sometimes people don't know where to buy these things. Yeah, usually I like look up where to buy, you know, whatever it is. And then I, I always dread if it's like on a, you know, exchange that I'm not like a member of. I'm like, oh God, I've got to send. I, I'm a member of so many exchanges at this point, yeah. Brian, like uh, at least five different ones. <laughs> it's like, oh God, this is so tedious. But- I always think to myself, the more tedious it is, it means the earlier I am. Exactly. That's how I felt about when I first started getting into decentralized exchanges. Like if, if it's this hard, I've got to be able to make some money doing it because exactly. most people don't want to deal with it. But I think, you know, the where to buy, I think, you know, it helps people to be like, oh, well, let's say that you, um, you know, for example, we can't use Binance in the United States. 
right? And so for people who are like, you know, in that group, they're like, oh, I can get it on Binance. Okay, you know, anyway, I thought it was interesting. Also, I'm liking these um, these different rating systems that I'm finding here yeah, and there. Yeah, what was the one that you're using currently? Um, this one, well, if you go to CoinMarketCap, um, and if you click on, and we'll give you every, everybody a little bit, a little bit of inside information. If you click on, uh, let's see, what is it? If you go to more info above the project's graph, another menu comes up and then there's one, um, setting or one button that says ratings. And if you click on the ratings, then there's a few different companies that actually do these ratings of crypto projects. Mm. One's called the FCAC. Um, there's symmetry. There's Insight, um, the one I use for this. And so for different projects, they might have a different rating or no rating at all. It really depends. Um, this one was called Token Insights. But yeah, they look at the same things that we're looking at and then they give it like a, a rating. It's kind of like Moody's, but for crypto. I like it. I like yeah. it. We should, we should invent our own rating system and be like, I give this a triple B. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, I think we could. I think we could definitely do that. There was yeah. another cool thing that I saw under, um, where is it? They had a another metric that is based on like activity and like the ecosystem, which was really cool because it showed you um, the activity and there was another metric. It had to do with the community. Oh, uh, ecosystem growth. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's a metric for ecosystem growth. So if you look at it, it will tell you like, you know, how big it's growing, maybe like how many, um, I'm sorry, network growth. That's the metric. And that will show you, you know, how many people are buying in, maybe how many projects are being created, um, that sort of thing. And so I thought that was pretty cool. And these are like uh, underneath the analysis part of the Coinbase, uh, you know, token summary. So anyway, cool, cool I, stuff. I like, yeah, I, I feel like we're getting very sophisticated in terms of like you, if you compare how much we know about cryptocurrencies now compared to episode one, like it's night. Yeah. We're, we've, we're not dragging our knuckles out of the uh out of the, uh, the primordial soup where we've evolved or standing upright and uh i don't know i'm, I'm feeling very evolved sorry <laughs> about mean, that not not evolved yet i'm still getting phone calls during a podcast so i take uh, that back who, who gets phone calls these days that's not dgen brian you know who that was who? you remember mike uh mike g from prezi oh yeah yeah mike. that was him Shout out to Mike G. Yeah. yeah awesome. All right, guys. So thank you uh, for joining us. Um, remember, if you have any questions about this uh, episode, any of the content we covered or from previous episodes that's been lingering in your mind, you can write to us at questions at cryptosafari.us and we will answer them on the next podcast. Brian, thank you for uh, for bringing us this cryptocurrency this week. I feel like we brought two very different ones that both are kind of like, lurkers almost right like they have a lot of potential yeah sleepers uh yeah well it's yeah these two are gonna be definitely um projects i'm gonna be watching and yeah i'm gonna be really excited to see what happens so yeah, same here yeah man. thank you for bringing flow to my attention i feel um I feel like i'm part of the new you are very welcome all right until next time guys uh we will catch you after the merge Ooh, that's exciting yeah thanks for listening we'll talk to you soon bye everybody bye Thank you.